All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. Uh, it is Monday, uh, February 13th of 2023. Uh, the post Super Bowl hangover here, the end of the end of the NFL season. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at Saber Sam. Filling in for Andrew today. Uh, got a well-deserved day off. Uh, I think he is uh, still recovering from partying up a little bit in Vegas. Uh, this past weekend. So uh, you'll have Andrew back here, I believe, tomorrow for office hours, but you've got me here for today. Uh, so we'll go ahead. We'll start talking about some things. We'll break into some questions here in just a moment. But if this happens to be your first office hours you've stumbled upon here, uh, whether you're watching me live or catching the replay of this one, first of all, welcome. Uh, the purpose of this show here is uh, to provide basically an open Q&A kind of format where you guys can ask questions just about DFS strategy, uh, about Saberson, really whatever you guys want to talk about. Uh, and, you know, We'll, we'll break things down. We'll, we'll analyze some questions here. You can ask follow-up questions, clarifying questions, that kind of thing. So uh, truly a, a office hours kind of format here. But uh, we've got a couple questions in our queue here uh, from this morning, this weekend, a couple I wanted to spend a little bit of time on, uh, but not too many questions here in our queue in front of us for today. So a good day if you've been waiting to ask a question or just have some, some, you, some ideas you want to kind of kick around, a good day to ask those questions here uh, as well. So let's go ahead and... Uh, we'll, we'll just go ahead and start diving in. Uh, what's going on, Patrick? I know, OG coach here. Uh, yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun. I haven't done one of these in a little while. I was doing a couple to fill in for Andrew a couple months ago. We were having some technical issues as well, which was kind of unfortunate on those, but we should have those all uh, worked out here now. So it uh, should be a good one here for us today. But uh, I, So I wanted to start on this one. Um, this is from Callie Krill. Uh, and there was a little bit of a discussion in Discord about this question here. Um. And I, I think the, the discussion in Discord did kind of, it, it provided the answer that I would have provided as well, but I wanted to just spend a little bit more time like diving into some of these concepts here and, 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 and break this down a little more. So uh, the question was, if I wanted to lock a captain, so we were talking for the Super Bowl here, lock a captain in for a specific multi-entry contest, uh, what do you think would yield the best results to lock him in before the build or to filter after the build, or would the result be identical? And this question definitely comes in pretty frequently. We get uh, a lot of questions from people that are, you know, hey, is it better to make changes before the build or after the build uh, with a lot of this stuff? And we are working towards building some some features here and kind of streamlining the app to make some of this a little less confusing, uh, a little less like unclear of where you're supposed to edit things. But there is a little bit of a difference here between what you are actually doing when you filter pre-build versus post-build here. Uh, so I wanted to kind of talk about basically what that is. So when you build a set of lineups, so let's go ahead and say we're building for the Super Bowl and we'll get some lineups in play. And I'm just going to do 500. So this builds quickly here. Let's say we're building 20 lineups just as a hypothetical. So we'll revisit some of these Super Bowl uh, lineups from, from yesterday, right? So what you're doing, you are building a pool here, 500 lineups. In this case, each one is going to be an optimal lineup from one of our Sims. And any adjustments you make to narrow down what 20 you're ultimately going to enter into the contests is just filtering, right? It's just sorting. It's taking lineups that were built. Your lineups, let's say you decide that you're going all in, you've done some research, uh, you are, um, I don't know, looking for leverage opportunities, whatever the reason is. And maybe you decided you're all in Juju Smith-Schuster captain, right? And you go in here, um, well, bad example. We'll talk about that kind of here in a second from a practical level, but let's pick somebody that we can actually lock in. So let's see, uh, 
let's do Devonta Smith, right? So you're going to lock Devonta Smith in. And now you've got 100% Devonta Smith. So what you are doing in Saberson here is you're taking this 500 set of lineups and you're saying, give me the best 20 Devonta Smith captain lineups in the pool. And what is nice about that, the advantage of this, and why this is my preferred way to go about doing this kind of thing in general, is because you are not affecting the results of individual sims, or you are not shifting the optimal lineup for a sim. You are just saying, I'm going to only play lineups where the sim outcome was that Devonta Smith was the optimal captain. So you can know that in the background in Saber Sim here, all of your lineups are true sim optimals for at least one sim outcome of how this game could have played out in our database of sims, right? So that in a sport like Showdown or in a game type like Showdown, where getting the optimal lineup, getting a lineup that has an associated game script and a play-by-play set of outcomes of where that could occur is really important, right? Having that, it, it, you 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 would want to know that that you are playing a lineup that is a sim optimal, right? That has a game script associated with it where that lineup becomes optimal and that that lineup also is optimal frequently, right? That's kind of the other part of this is you're saying, give me the best Devonta Smith captain lineups, right? So you're getting the highest saber score, the most frequently occurring Devonta Smith optimal lineups. So Matt responded to this over the weekend here in Discord and said, this preserves sim integrity. And we've talked about that idea on some of the behind the sim stuff over the past couple of weeks, right? That's, that's what preserving the sim integrity really means is you're not affecting the inputs to that sim. You are just saying, um, you know, you're, you're saying, give me, take the sim outputs as they are and give me the, the best of Otto Smith lineups as captain. So the alternative, right, is you come over here and you hit the lock button right here, right? And you say 100% Devonta Smith captain. Now, this is not, I, I don't want to give off an impression that this is something you should never do, right? This is a, a different approach that there are pros and cons to each. But what you are doing in this case is you are saying to SaberSim, build me 500 sim optimal lineups, right? Take, you know, 500 sims of the way that this game could play out. But in each, lock Devonta Smith into the captain spot and then build out the best possible remaining lineup after that, right? So you could, in theory, take a sim where um, potentially Devonta Smith gets three catches for 31 yards, and that's his only stat line, and the rest of the the rest of the rest sim is what took place in that game. Devonta Smith will be locked into the captain in that spot, and the best possible lineup for the remainder of how that sim played out will be used for the rest of the lineup, right? So you are, in that case, affecting the sim integrity, in theory, right? You are saying take the Sims as they are, but make this lineup construction requirement upon them, right? And lineup lineup rules work the same way, right? Like another example, I know, you know, something that people might want to do often here is say something like, maybe you don't lock Devonta Smith in, but you set a group rule and you say, if Devonta Smith is the captain, right? Then you must use Jalen Hurts in the flex, right? That's, this is similar. The, you are saying, take the Sim outcomes as they are, but in any, this is a less extreme example, in any lineups where Devonta Smith is the optimal captain, then even if Jalen Hurts wasn't in that lineup in the flex, he now must be, right? You are affecting the lineup construction. So as I'm talking through this, I think you might be like, well, why would I ever do that, right? I'd want, you know, I, I want perfect sims. Well, the main reason for why you would want to do that is if you want more lineups to explore with a certain construction. Right? Even on the pro plan for SaberSim, you have 5,000 lineups at your disposal. If you are trying to look at a very narrow range of outcomes, say you've dialed in, uh, a, you've done a bunch of research and you, you really want 
20 lineups with a very, maybe 150, 150 lineups that play a very specific range of outcomes, a very narrow set of lineup constructions that you think is, is maybe um, inefficiently used by the field and you want to exploit that, then it would be potentially to your benefit to set some of this ahead of times. Let's go back to this build here, right? So 500 lineups in this build. And let's say we did, we had decided Juju Smith-Schuster was the captain that we had wanted to lock in, right? We see this message. There aren't 20 lineups in our pool of 500 where Juju Smith-Schuster is the optimal captain. So if we want at least 20, but presumably more than that, so we can float the best ones to the top, it would then be to our benefit to run a build like this here, where we are locking in Juju Smith-Schuster ahead of time, giving that indication to Saberson that we want him in those lineups, and we're getting 500 Juju Smith-Schuster captain lineups. And that's why it's kind of a balance here. In this case, we are sacrificing some sim integrity, but we are, by locking him in ahead of time, we're getting a more functional and flexible pool that we can work around with here and explore what all of these different Juju Smith-Schuster lineups might look like. Right. Say, let's let this build here, but say we want to come in here and start making some additional changes. So let's let this build. So we now have our 100% our Juju lineups, and let's say we wanted to continue to play around a little bit more. So maybe we're doing a little bit of pruning down here at the bottom of the pool. Right. Let's see. Is there anybody? Uh, maybe we want to, you know, maybe we think we're getting enough leverage by playing a somewhat unpopular captain. And in our 20 lineups, we don't want to play some of these bottom guys here. Right. So we start doing a little bit of stuff like this. And maybe we want to be, you know, say, let's say we want to be really aggressive with our construction type and play unbalanced builds, right? Because we have 500 Juju Smith-Schuster captain lineups in the pool to work with, we can start doing stuff like that here. So all of this to say on a practical level, actually last point on this, and then, and then I'll kind of sum up and we'll move on. But I think this also depends a lot on the contest type that you're playing, right? In Showdown, there are fewer lineup opportunities. There are fewer constructions available to you right? Uh, and you typically need the optimal to win. So those two factors combine to basically valuing sim integrity a little bit more, right? Because with, when you have, when you have a sim integrity, I guess, I, I, I know I keep repeating that, that thing, uh, you are closer to true optimal lineups, right? And you are filtering out those optimals from your pool. You need the optimal to win. You need a, a, uh, a play-by-play -play game script lineup, I think I would lean more towards post-build adjustments for something like Showdown. For an NBA Classic slate, 11 games tonight, there are probably at least millions, probably billions of viable lineups that could be made, lineups that like are within a 1,000 of the max salary of all the different combinations you can make. Even 5,000 lineups on the Saberson Pro plan is just a, a, a like tiny drop of what is possible on that actual slate. So you are, it is less likely that you're actually affecting SIM outcomes by making adjustments post build for the NBA classic slate, because the lineups that you get with after the, the lineups you get after the build very likely could have just shown up as good lineups. If you could have built a hundred thousand and adjusted, adjusted it post build instead. Whereas that's not the case. I guess that's a better way of looking at it in a showdown or a contest where you need the optimal to win or uh, there are much fewer lineup constructions possible, it is more likely that you might make an adjustment pre-build that leads to bad lineups appearing in your set post-build. That is much less likely on larger classic style slates. Uh, so that's kind of the nuance there going behind the scenes. So uh, again, just from a practical level to kind of sum up, I would think it is best practice still in general to, to attempt what you can get done with adjustments post-build, right? Both based on the size of your pool, how many lineups can you build versus how many do you need to play? 
and also the tools at your disposal, right? You can't do everything you might want to do to a lineup post-build. You can't set lineup rules post-build, for example. Uh, you can't do things like set that, um, you can't get like, like very specific grouping rules of like, if if this group of players used, then this group of players should be used post-build. So th those are tools that you must do before the build. But in general, that's this is generally why I recommend trying to make adjustments post-build first to preserve that, then shift to pre-build adjustments here if you can't. And in smaller slates or sports and contest types where you're more likely to need the optimal to win, I would be more likely to just not do things if the only way I could get them done was pre-build personally. So that's like MMA as well as a good example, right? MMA, you often need the optimal or very close to win. There are very few lineups. There are fewer, relatively speaking, possible lineups in an MMA slate than there are for an 11-game NBA slate. I would try to do more post-build in MMA and be less likely to force things in pre-build if I can't get them there in the post-build adjustments because of, because of those factors. So uh, anyway, rambling now, I think you guys get the point. I see some other questions coming in here, so we'll move on. But I did want to spend a little bit of time just talking about that, breaking that down, because I think it's an interesting question here. So... Um, okay. Uh, interesting one here, um, from Poppy. Um, and, uh, it says uh, quick question. If I'm playing college basketball with custom projections, is it best to build cash builds since there are no Sims supported? Or if I treat college basketball, if it's NBA and match the smart randomness, uh, to what will be Sim diversity for NBA, will I be overdoing it? Honestly, that the practical answer I would give to this, just since we don't we don't have college basketball sims, again, you'll have to upload custom projections here to, to build, is I would probably, let's see here, let's do uh, continuous salaries for now. I would probably just experiment with this and kind of feel, see what's right for your process, right? I would expect that since just college basketball content and projections and reporting is just, there's less of that than there is for something like NBA, you're going to get more relative value out of just having good projections than you would in a sport like NBA. So I think you can basically, I think you can probably be competitive in college basketball, building just highly projected lineups with very good projections. Uh, so that makes me inclined to think that maybe turning smart randomness a little bit lower than you might in a sport like NBA does make some sense, but you're going to open yourself up to very high variance, high swings. If you are playing an extremely concentrated player pool, which is what's going to happen when you turn smart randomness down. So what I would do, I, if, if I were building for college basketball, I would probably start with like a cashy kind of build and just see how lineups and how my distributions are how my, my player pool looks and my exposure to different players looks at lower uh, randomness settings and maybe turn it up a little bit if I want to get a little bit more diversified. Uh, you could also experiment with building lineups on a very low smart randomness setting and then try things like min uniques post build to get a little bit more diverse sets of lineups instead of doing it uh, with the, the randomness slider. This this randomness slider in uh, compared to sim diversity, what it is basically doing is it is building out kind of a normal distribution for each player and you are effectively increasing the standard deviation of those players when you increase this that is the practical effect of adjusting smart randomness so for nba where you know we can go look at an nba player's distribution for or for basketball sorry uh players are pretty normally distributed so i actually don't think that's a bad assumption i actually think that would work pretty well um but it's not a true distribution for that player based on Sims. So there's a, you know, you need to take that a little bit with a grain of salt here. So short answer, uh, I would experiment with it um, and, and basically see the results you're getting as you are 
increasing that, that smart randomness slider. And specifically, I'd look at the projected scores of your lineups versus the diversity in your player pool, I think is the way I would go about that and see if I could find a break-even point where it felt like I wasn't sacrificing too much projection, but I was also getting somewhat diversified. So I'm not all in on a handful of players. So, uh, cool. Let's keep it going. Uh, Mac attack. Good question here. And I see questions coming in in YouTube chat. We'll get to those here in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to get caught up in Discord here first. Uh, Mac Attack said, what do you think of the idea of entering the same 20 lineups in a multiple contest, for example, entering the same 20 in the quarter jukebox in the dime time? I think this is really kind of a bankroll question, and it depends on how much you're investing. It, it's a little bit of a contest dynamics question and a little bit of a bankroll question, right? So let's go look. Let's say for tonight, let's say you're you're kind of starting out small, uh, focusing on just growing a bankroll and you're following the DFS profit plan and you are your only two diversifiers in play, right? So the only con the only 20 maxes that you're playing are the dime time and the quarter jukebox. And maybe you're playing uh, $10 total on the slate, right? If we go look at these contests, right? You may, I mean, dime time is $40 to first, right? That is a 4X investment across what you are investing in the slate. Right, it might be worth actually getting the opportunity to get twenty uh, additional unique lineups in play for that particular slate to give yourself the opportunity of four xing your investment on the slate. Right, turning ten dollars into forty, assuming you don't even cash any other lineups, uh, and 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 getting an additional twenty lineups in play. But if you're playing, you know, two hundred dollars that particular night. I don't know for me if it's worth getting 20 additional lineups into the dime time to have like not even winning back your entry fee, entry fees on the night upside if you took down first in that contest. And when I'm playing a little bit more, I start to think about using the dime time as a way to get additional action down for a set of 20 lineups I have already entered into another contest so that I just win a little bit more when one of those lineups is successful rather than it being a unique lineup entered into those contests. So a general, this is a very general rule of thumb that I use for this kind of stuff is I want to make sure that if I'm playing a unique lineup into an entry for that slate, that if I won that entry, it would give me an opportunity still to 5X my entire entry fees for that night if that was if I didn't win back anything else, right? So let's say if I'm playing $100 on a slate total across a bunch of different contests, I want to make sure that each lineup, each entry I'm playing has at least a $500 to first upside there for, for, for first place so that I know that I can basically realize my, uh, I can realize my profit when I have an extremely high scoring outcome. And that's not the uh, minimize variance approach, but I think that's a nice balance of, of maximizing return and still keeping your variance low by getting an opportunity to play in a lot of different contests. The profit plan as it's basically set up is basically a way to, kind of play a bunch of different contests, but basically mimic it as if you were playing a, a, a single, actually, that's not really even a good way of looking at it. I, I In my head, sometimes it kind of makes sense to think about, you know, the profit plan being all of your, all of your entries that you're playing into a wide variety of different contests that night kind of make up your own personal contest. I guess that still kind of works. And I want to make sure that for entries I'm choosing to enter into that my own personal contest mix that night that they have the upside to pay off when I'm right. So that's kind of the way I look, look at it. So it really does depend. I guess uh, one other example though, like is golf, which has a pretty viable dime time 
most slates, right? Or it's not dime time. It's the, yeah, it is the dime time. So for golf, I mean, especially if you're if you're starting out with a smaller bankroll here, there's a hundred dollar the first dime time that you know, say you're playing five or ten bucks. I think it would make sense to play the dime time and the quarter jukebox and get 40 unique lineups in play. And yes, there's more upside if you take down the quarter than there is for the you know three hundred dollars to one hundred dollars. You're still having. I don't think that I don't think uh, trading uh, the. I don't think accepting additional variants to play the same 20 lineups in both of these contests for golf makes as much sense because there's upside there to first in both of these. So that's just the way I look at it. But cool. Uh, quick question here that had come in from Neil, and then I'm going to hop over to, to uh, YouTube chat here to get through some, some of these. Uh, any NASCAR specific content coming? Uh, need something to get me through uh, until MLB starts. Yeah, so we got Daytona coming up on Sunday. We are doing a little bit of work here to just freshen up and uh, update the NASCAR model from last season. So if you guys weren't with us last year, uh, we basically debuted our uh, NASCAR sims for the first time, built out a full simulator, projections, ownership, all that stuff for NASCAR. Uh, I believe on our YouTube channel here, um, let me get this pulled up here. Um, here, one sec, let me get this flipped over. Uh, do we still have, so if you search NASCAR, yeah, here we go. So you'll get a bunch of our content that we did last year. So, uh, we did, we did a couple streams here. Um, I did an interview with, uh, Kingfish NATO from the, the Saberson community, one of our better, uh, NASCAR minds in the discord chat here. So if you want to watch this kind of breaking down just fundamentals of NASCAR DFS here. This is like an hour long stream we did. And then we did an hour long stream, another hour long stream with Matt breaking down the actual NASCAR Sims. That's a good watch for sure. Uh, and then I kind of summarized both of those videos in like a very easy to process eight minute video here, just how to use the tools to build good NASCAR lineup. So I think this is all very valid content here. This is still all very good. I'll, I'll probably pin this back up to the YouTube channel just so this is easy to find. Uh, that said, we are doing a little bit of a, a freshening up of the model before the start of the season. And I'd like to get another new video out to you guys here. Uh, hopefully this week, maybe next week, breaking this stuff down. So I would expect a little bit NASCAR content here coming in uh, as we gear up for Daytona this week and also just the start of the, the season. Um, it came up quick. feels like a NASCAR had just ended. Uh, I think the, the holiday season, it just goes really fast every year here. So um, cool. Uh, eight game said, how do you use Saberson Pro during the NBA late swap? I've just been going with Saber score. So first of all, uh, for our pro subscribers, um, you know, for those of you that, that that don't already know, we've been releasing a pro exclusive video once a week uh, to all of our, our pro subscribers in Discord here where we kind of break more advanced concepts down or how to use some of the pro features, uh, that kind of stuff. Two weeks ago now, I think it was, Matt and I did one, a special video on Late Swap in MBA in particular. And we went like really deep into some of these concepts here, talking about like how you should shift your process as you're late swapping, um, how you should think about some of your custom metrics or uh, slate specific differences of like what kind of news is breaking and how that should influence your process. So if you wanna watch like a deep dive into this conversation, I definitely go check that video out. It is in the pro videos catalog in Discord. Um, as a very general summary, here. I would say that uh, I continue to use my custom metrics 
when I am late swapping for MBA most of the time, right? Most of what my custom metrics are designed to do, and I'm going to intentionally be a little bit uh, obscure in my answer here because I, I, I talked pretty deeply into a lot of this in the pro content. So I, I, I just, I want to kind of honor that as, as a, as a pro video here, but uh, I generally, m most of what my metrics do is value upside lineup upside versus lineup ownership. And I think that is still for the most part, a valid thing to do when late swapping. What I have found that it ultimately has the impact of doing is that as news breaks, it is more likely to value new value like value that was not there at lock and is therefore projected lower ownership. Uh, and it will fade more aggressively uh, players whose value has dried up somewhat because of news breaking. So if we look like, for example, tonight, um, let's say uh, here, let's see. Let me see if I can find an example. Uh, what time do the Hornets play? They play at lock. What time does Miami play? 5.30. So a decent example, right? So Tyler Hero's out. It looks like we're going to have Miami value. Uh, the the projections seem to think that's going to be mostly for Max Struess right now. But let's say post-lock, uh, we end up getting news here. Um, maybe that... I, probably Caleb Martin's going to start here as well. It looks like Gabe Vincent. I'm trying to find an example. Um, maybe we get like different... Maybe for whatever reason, Max Strews isn't all of a sudden projected to start, right? I don't know really with this roster who it would end up being, but let's say that's the news that we get. And his ownership projection is still very high. His value has come down a bit, and we have some other lower projected guy that is now popping. Uh, maybe this uh, Jamari Booyah guy, uh, maybe he gets like a spot start or something like that. My my metrics, as they are written, would end up really being probably aggressive on a fade of Max Strews here and playing that guy that is now in the starting lineup because of the way that they're set up. And I think that's still valuable when you're late swapping. I think there's things to be a little bit cautious of uh, in that, in those situations. I don't think it's entirely one size fits all. That's kind of where we start getting into the complexity, the nuance there. I'd check out the pro video if you want to go a little bit deeper than that. But I would say it's a very general rule. If your metrics are valid at lock, they should continue to be valid throughout the week. So, or sorry, throughout the slate. Um, so yeah, so just to follow up, a game says the chat in discord only pro can see. Yeah. So, uh, when you are in discord, if you have verified, actually, um, let me see if I can just get this pulled up here. Um, let's see. Basically it is this channel. Let me share the discord instead for just a moment here. So this is your channel. So once you verified, so if you have a pro subscription uh, and if you verified your account and gotten the pro role in Discord, you'll have access to this pro videos channel, which is basically a, a read only. So nobody posts in here, but it's a catalog of all the content we've done here. Um, so there's some really cool stuff in here, right? So this is the video where I kind of broke down some of my custom metrics uh, that I've been using here. And then Matt and I broke down late swap strategy after we released our, our late swap pools uh, feature. And also talked a little bit about custom metrics and, and how that changes as a slate goes on. And then this goes back here, right? I mean, there's stuff here from the past like couple months here, um, basically going back to, to late November here of, of pro content. So uh, a lot of, lot of great stuff in there. So you just have to verify your account uh, in Discord and you'll get those, you'll get those roles there. So uh, cool. Let me get the app pulled back up here. We'll keep going. 
Uh, cool. Um, so Patrick said it's micro mini week. Let's explore those contests. Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of a fun week, right? DraftKings, I think does this every year after the Super Bowl here. Um, some, some interesting contests. I know last year, Andrew actually, uh, took this contest down, um, which is basically the, the best spot to finish in, in this one, right? I mean, it's always best to come in first, but 75 K drop off from first to second. So, uh, Andrew, uh, won this contest last year, which was pretty awesome. Um, right after like a, a, uh, big win in football, like the week before. So, uh, anyway, but yeah, I mean, it's always a fun week. Basically you get, uh, some, just some larger lower stakes contests available to you here. So I, I don't have a ton to like say on this here. Uh, I think it, it, basically following the profit plan, the DFS profit plan is still going to be the backbone of, of my contest selection strategy in general with this stuff. But I think it does give you an opportunity to have some higher prize pools at your disposal um, instead of, you know, the $4 I think is normally like 7,500 to first. Uh, you get an opportunity for, for uh, 100K to first upside playing a contest like this. Um, I would say they're enormous, right? We'll, we will get, this is a $4 I think later this week or maybe even tomorrow, we will probably get an enormous $1 mini max. It typically does end up displacing the $1.20 max most of the time. So uh, we'll have this giant 150 max $1 contest, uh, which is kind of fun for, for a one-off here, but it does end up displacing this contest here. So uh, all that to say, I think it increases the variance of this week a little bit. It does increase the, uh, the upside potential, but it can be a higher variance week. So it might be a week maybe to, um, you know, it's always hard with these kinds of things because uh, on one hand, you are increasing the variance of your results with having more lineups in play. But a lot of this money is softer money um, of people maybe that were playing NFL all season, uh, stuck around, and now they're checking out the NBA lobby for the first time. So they can be a little bit softer contests, even though they're they're a lot larger. Um, so I would probably lean on the side of if you were playing, you know, if you were somewhat aggressive with your bankroll before, maybe you play a little bit more conservatively with your bankroll. Um that kind of thing. But otherwise, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a fun week with the, the, the micro millions here. Uh, the upside of the hundred K to first on a $4 contest for, for, for DK. So. Uh, Mr. T said, how do you deal tend to deal with expected blowouts in regard to using players in NBA with players on both teams? So honestly, that's something that I don't take a very hands-on approach to most of the time. And the reason why is I think that simulation, that's something that Sims just do a very good job of. Um, you know, if we look at a game like this Rockets um, Sixers game here tonight, right? It looks like 14, 15 point spread, 13, 14, something like that. Um, so probably a game that stands out as some blowout risk, right? And when you look at these uh, players, you're going to see average projections, right? Well, Joel Embiid plays 33 minutes, scores on average 56.14, right? Those are all averages, Right. So behind the scenes, we're picking up the the actual individual game outcomes here of where this game does blow out. Right. Where, it, um, you know, it goes, you know, Sixers win by, by 30 and Joel Embiid plays 26 minutes or something like that. Uh, we're also playing the range of outcomes there where the game does stay a little bit closer. Right. And he at least gets his, his normal allotment of minutes. And there's also a spectrum of outcomes in there as well that I, I think when you are trying to predict blowouts, you're you have this issue of compounding assumptions, right? Compounding assumptions is, is something we've talked about a lot on our content before here, where you are trying to essentially predict an outcome and then also predict what that means for the player performance in that outcome, right? I mean, there are blowout game scripts here where there's really no, there's no impact or, or Joel Embiid still has, you know, a high scoring game, right? 
where maybe the game stays close throughout the game. Uh, it ends up that the, maybe the maybe the Sixers even cover and they win by 15. But Joel Embiid plays 32 minutes. He's a big part of why they blew out in the first place. And up until maybe the very end of the fourth quarter, gets a normal assortment of minutes. Right. There's also a range of outcomes here uh, where you know the game does stay closer and Joel Embiid still fails. Right. Like maybe they just disappoint tonight and the Rockets play them close and you actually end up getting kind of a floor game at a normal minutes load for Joel Embiid. I, I think it is easy to assume that you can intuit what the effect of a certain cause is a lot of times when it comes to DFS, when in reality that I think that's a lot harder. Um, and not to say people don't do it, right? I mean, I, I think there's like, I mean, there's successful, um, you know, NBA handicappers out there that, that, that have that skill, but for how good the Sims are at picking up the full range of outcomes of these games, right? We look at a guy like Joel Embiid, we'll pull his distribution up here. I just don't think like it is a spot where I feel like I need to add value, right? To me, this, this distribution looks, uh, you know, reasonable to me. I mean, they're going to generally look pretty normally distributed here. I will allow this distribution and all the player distributions in the pool here to handle a lot of looking at the full range of outcomes of players when it comes to my actual lineup construction. Um, so yeah, I it, personally, it's, it's just not something I look into very much or, or do a lot with there in terms of trying to predict blowouts or, or predict the impact of, of blowouts there on, on player production. So I, I think as we get into, um, eh, no, I was going to say, you know, as we get potentially into like later in the season here, uh, and we will see some pretty massive spreads as there are teams that have fully embraced, uh, tanking, uh, there are going to be a lot of games where teams just like really, and it's already started, but really aggra uh, aggressively rest starters. Um, if you're playing, you know, maybe like showdowns in those game environments or very small slates, uh, maybe you can get a little bit exploitative with that. Um, but I don't think on average for, for most of these, these classic slates, it's something I look at too closely. So, Um, Patrick says, can you explain the multiplier contest and how to SaberSim optimize for it rather than your normal GPP contests? I assume you're talking about the multiplier setting here. Um, you know, honestly, this is this is a a little bit of a legacy thing in the SaberSim app here uh, that, that hasn't really been touched in a while, these multiplier settings. What, what this is really designed to do is to give you a set of settings that are usable for things like triple ups or maybe quintuple ups. Uh, or things like that, where you're playing, uh, you don't need, it's not a tournament structure where you are rewarded basically all the way to first place for higher upside, but it's also not cash where you're just trying to come up with the best average projected lineup. Uh, so these multiplier settings for most sports kind of split the difference between those two. And they're, they're in theory designed for, for triple ups or, or quintuple ups. Um, I think it does a decent job of trying to approximate that. Um, but I think there is enough differences between multipliers across the lobby that you would probably be best off using this maybe as a starting point from which to work from, but then adjusting accordingly based on the payout structure of that contest. So for example, right? I mean, there are, let's see how high these get here. So there are 10X boosters here in the lobby. Um, are there 20 or 40? I know in baseball, so it doesn't really look like it. I know in baseball and, and, and some other sports in the lobby, you can get up to like 40X boosters, right? But even 10X boosters, this is playing a little bit closer to a GPP than it is to something like cash, right? 
you're, you have a flat payout structure in the payout positions, but you're 10 xing your money for finishing uh, basically in the top eight uh, ish percent or so of the contest. Right. So it's a little bit more it resembles a GPP a little bit more than it resembles a cash game, whereas a triple up, I think, actually resembles a cash game quite a bit. Right. You finish in the top third roughly and you're going to triple up your money here. So um, what I would do if you're playing these kinds of contests here is actually study the payout structure and see is it more resembling of a GPP where maybe for a 10x booster, maybe you do want to explore playing with a little bit higher sim diversity here. Um yeah, so actually you could do something like, because it doesn't look like we have the entry limit dropdowns available here for multiplier. So you could use something like that as a baseline, but then see, you know, if this uh, 10x booster was actually a GPP here, right? So under 100, single entry under 100, right? Um, maybe you actually end up taking something like these kinds of sliders and using that a little bit more. So all this to say, like, frankly, actually, I, actually, I would just say this. We haven't really optimized or looked at the multiplier sliders for some time. I could see them just going away completely in the future, um, just because it's something that is a little bit of a weird thing in the app here. I would study what the, the cash settings are always going to be zero, zero, zero. I would look at the cash settings versus the GPP settings for the size of the contest you're playing, and then adjust your sliders accordingly based on what the uh, payout structure of the contest actually is. So maybe for a triple up, you're playing much closer to the cash settings. For a 10x, a 20x, a 40x booster, you're playing closer to the GPP settings. So that's how I would look at it. But uh, Aaron said, how do you feel about Xing out NBA teams to plan for injury news? Yeah, so uh, this is an interesting one as well. I, I think there is actually, I, I've somewhat changed my mind here about this a bit and not, I, not specifically about Xing teams out but for basically playing for late swap flexibility. Uh, I think a year ago, or maybe about a year and a half ago now, I, late swapping alone was probably enough edge to beat most contests. And I think that's still probably true, but I think an emerging edge, an edge that the field hasn't really caught up to yet is to construct your lineups in a way where you maximize your ability to react to news or not even maybe maximize your ability, but uh, balance the value of building the best possible lineups at lock while also uh, maximizing your ability to capitalize on late news post lock. And I think there's a couple different ways to do that. And there's a spectrum of ways to do that here. Um, you know, let's say for example, um, let's look at, I like this basketball monster dashboard here to look at some of this stuff here. So uh, we have, we have a bunch of players questionable heading into the slate. We will probably get clarity on most of the players playing in this early game here by lock. So let's say that the Sixers do end up giving Joel Embiid a rest tonight, right? And we have all this spectacular Sixers value here that opens up hard, even like guys like Harden and Tobias Harris will become great plays, but uh, will probably become um, maybe a Paul Reed or a Montrez Harrell slate, where these guys are all great values with, with Embiid out, right? They're also all going to be very highly owned, right? And let's say we're heading into lock with LeBron James and, you know, maybe even also Jeremy Grant. Actually, let's just say, you know, all three of these big names here, uh, James, Grant, and Kuzma here, um, might still be questionable heading into lock. And if all three of them were out or any of them really, maybe even just LeBron James, they might open up equivalent value to what you would get on the Sixers here, but the field doesn't have that information before lock. And by the time that this game actually starts or the time that we get news on this game here, the players might be just as well projected to some of the Sixers value, but the ownership's going to be way lower, 
right? And that's because even if the field wanted to swap into some of that value, because of the players that have been locked into their locked into their lineups already, they can't. So there's this exploitative angle here of opening up your lineups to maximize your ability to get lower owned value players as those players open up throughout the slate. The, the downside of that, the potential downside, is you naturally are going to be sacrificing some projected points to force that flexibility in there, right? Because you are, you know, you are setting a restriction on the builder or making some kind of adjustment here that it would that is limiting, that is limiting how many projected points it can get into your lineups at lock. So there is a little bit of a balance there. Um, I think there's really a couple different ways to do this. Um, I think the probably the more kind of brute force, like blunt tool of doing this here would be to say something like um, maybe you say, maybe you take the players playing in these games here uh, and say, um, actually, there's probably an easier way to do this here. Um, let's see. What we could do is say an automatic rule to say use at least three players um, from a the same game. Save that as a manual rule and then adjust this here so that it's only the late games, right? So Washington, Golden State, and Lakers and Portland, right? And maybe actually you would only need one in this case. So maybe you just use this game, right? So you're basically telling Saberson, use three players from this game. And you could build your lineups at lock like that and basically wait until you got news or clarity about this game, the Sims update, the projections run, then you could remove this rule, but you know that each lineup has three players in there. So you know you already have a lot of flexibility in your lineup when it comes time to finally swap for that LeBron James news or for the Jeremy Grant news or the Kyle Kuzma news or whatever actually you end up getting here. And you know that you're getting swaps that weren't available to other players because most other lineups in your contests don't have those positional spots open, right? And you could really remove that rule at any point, right? Let's say instead of waiting all the way till eight o'clock, let's say we get um, that Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray are out, you know, an hour and a half earlier, and that's opened up a lot of value for the Nuggets again. Right? That might be enough cause to just get rid of the rule then and swap into value players that weren't available to the field this early. Right, But the later in the slate uh, that you get, the more relative value you're going to get out of getting to those lower-owned players because there are less swaps available for other lineups in your contest. Um, I think a more dynamic way of doing this here, uh, or maybe a more you know precise way of doing this here, would be adjusting your projections here to reflect some of that uncertainty. So maybe you're taking a guy like LeBron James uh, and saying he's questionable. He's missed some games recently. There seems to be a legitimate chance that he he's could be resting again here tonight. And maybe you bump up some of the guys that tend to benefit the most when he is out. Um, Hachimura is a guy in particular uh, that definitely has that kind of potential here. And you're making these adjustments here, right? And maybe even being very aggressive with these adjustments and getting some of these guys into your lineups earlier the value of doing it this way is that you are giving you are giving the builder the opportunity to check that against the rest of the slate context, right? You could do something like this. And then even if we do get Joel Embiid out at lock, it will value the potential Lakers value that it, 
the potential Lakers projections that would open up if LeBron James got ruled out versus the, the known value you have with the Sixers and build lineups accordingly. But you would have to be able to do two things to really be able to do this successfully. The first would be looking at a list of questionable players and having some sense of actually assessing like how likely are these guys to sit, right? Joel Embiid is listed as questionable every single night. LeBron James is virtually listed as questionable every single night, right? There's a difference between how teams list their questionable players and their actual probability of, of being out or in. You also need to have some sense of knowing what players are likely to get the boost when, when others get ruled out for a team, right? And some of that can take a little bit of research, looking into rotations, things like that, uh, to do this in an accurate and helpful way. So I think there's kind of a blunt force tool to, to get late swap flexibility into your lineups and a more precise tool to get some late swap flexibility into your lineups. But I think it's an interesting thing to play with because I don't think a lot of people are doing it. Um, I think there, I think more and more of the field is getting comfortable with late swapping regularly and, and having a sound process to do those swaps for NBA. But I don't think people are thinking about it this way. So um, definitely interesting. And uh, another one, if you are a pro subscriber, that, that we covered quite a bit in that that video uh, with with Matt there. So um, time is getting away from me here a little bit on this stream. I know I'm rambling a bit on some of these questions, so I'm gonna roll. I want to hit some of these questions and make sure we're getting everything here. Uh, Hiker Willie said, when playing only about 45 DK NBA lineups, I find it difficult to get comfortable exposures to some value plays post build, even on large slates. Over 70% seems high. Uh, I think on NBA in particular. Because players are normally distributed and because players that are projected very highly at low salaries uh, have a, a high probability of, of hitting those outcomes, I am comfortable being pretty aggressively exposed to these well-projected plays. You look at a guy like Mark Williams tonight, he is 4K, right? He is projected for just a hair under 30 points. His 25th percentile outcome, the outcome that he meets or exceeds in 75% of our Sims is 24.5 points, which is still 6x on the slate, right? If you compare that to baseball chalk or football chalk or hockey chalk, you will see that players that are projected very well on average have a much higher downside of failing to re reach their like big outcomes. So there's more risk associated with rostering them and more value associated with fading them. Um, I think in NBA, that is less of the case. All Mark Williams really has to do tonight to be successful is really like play what 20 at like 21, 20 to 22 minutes, which there is potential uncertainty there, right? In that um, he could not start, he could get into foul trouble, right? There are a variety of different outcomes that could happen, but because there's not one, you are not counting on a big event to take place in the game, like scoring a touchdown uh, or hitting a home run or something like that to realize his fantasy points. He's just a high enough fantasy point per minute guy that he really just needs to be on the court. There's less volatility there. So I'm not sure if you're actually asking my take on exposures and, and variants and things like that in NBA, but I'm generally more comfortable being very highly exposed to well-projected plays in NBA. Um, from a practical standpoint, if in your 500 lineups, you're having a hard time meeting exposures that you want, I would actually adjust the projections on the home screen for those guys, right? Because that's really what you are saying at that point. If you're looking for 45 good lineups out of a pool of 500 and can't get to a Mark Williams exposure you're comfortable with, that message is really actually that his projection is too high, right? Because in the, the 500 lineups are built from the assumptions that are going into them. So I would start with something like a 10% reduction in his projection. And then at that point, you're basically 
you're you're essentially making a hypothesis of what if Mark Williams is 10% over projected, then how much exposure makes sense, and then run the build and see what your ability to get more of your your um, desired exposures looks like from there, and do that for each player that you are getting too much of. And if you're not getting enough of a player, do the opposite, right? So um, that is the the approach I would take is is try. Be comfortable with being highly exposed to elite projected plays in NBA because of the nature of, of scoring and um, variance in the sport. And if you aren't able to get exposures you want post-build, I would actually come back pre-build here and make adjustments to those player projections. So AK said, what would be an easier way to set the guard forward and utility positions for later games only trying to maximize late swap? So that part is automated. Okay, actually, um, that's an interesting one. Um, so two things on that. So one, when we are building a lineup, we naturally put the players playing in the latest games into the most flexible spots that the builder handles that in terms of saying, I only want my utility spots in the later games. I actually, I think a, a rule, the way I described it would actually accomplish that, right? Because when you set the group, um, you know, I guess you could even just do it like this, right? It doesn't need to be perfect here since this is just like a placeholder rule. You could say use... Uh, at least three players from this game here. Um, and whoops, like this. Use at least three players and just grab this game. Um, and, you know, even if it's maybe just like these guys, right? Like the, the, main, the main names here and something like this. This should do, because of, the, because of that, the rule in the builder to use later playing games in later slots, that should handle most of that for you right now it's not going to be a hundred percent right it doesn't mean you're going to get three of these guys in every lineup and they're all going to occupy the utility spots because let's say in that lineup you know the way that the sims were set up it wanted to use two centers playing in the earlier game right let's say a lineup was built that included mark uh mark williams and trenton Watt. well he is playing in a later game mark williams and um you know, Kelly Olynyk, just as hypothetical, one of those guys is going to go in the utility spot because that's the only way that lineup can get constructed. So it's not going to be perfect, but I think the rule, as I've described it here, should give you enough flexibility to work with for that. So um, one sec here. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, Jazer said on the lineups page, how do you get a filtered lineup by choosing specific players plus signs in a single entry example to fill the lineup if not ranked as number one in the pool? Yeah, so what you're going to want to do is just lock it. So let's build a couple lineups here. So we can do this here. So yeah, AK said, great, thank you. Didn't know the builder takes the late games into a factor. Yeah, so just in the way that the lineup is ordered, basically the way it actually works is... Um, it builds the lineup first and then it just reorders the positional spots that the players take up to put players starting in later games into those later spots. So it doesn't affect the lineup construction in terms of what players get used. It just resorts it after. So uh, anyway, so let's say you're looking at, um, let's, let's have a little fun here. Let's say we have decided to fade Mark Williams um, and we want to play um, Jokic. So lineup 76 stands out to us and we want to play this lineup and we're only playing a single bullet. Uh, all we would do is hit this lock button, right? Um, and then 
this is going to go to number two because Saberson is interpreting that as like you you want to add this lineup to your pool. If we just change that back now to one and then go back here and clear our filters, we will see that that lineup is our now our number one lineup locked in. So this could be our single entry lineup for tonight, for example. So this lock button will basically make sure that that lineup is always in your set and then you can adjust the number of lineups up here to make sure it matches up. So then we can save this and do, you know, uh, single entry. So it has a name. So. Uh, Patrick said, will Max Steinberg ever do a Super Bowl prop vlog? I enjoyed the 2020 video. Yeah, I was, I was watching that heading into the Super Bowl again this year. Um, it was a fun one. I think we we want to to take to do that more of that kind of stuff in the future. Some of those more kind of produced videos following somebody around. We've talked about maybe doing something like that for a live final. I think there could be something there kind of fun. So yeah, definitely uh, want to, to do more of that kind of content. But uh, eight games that I created custom projections for most slates. How do my changes affect the lineups created? Does it just add or subtract the amount I differ? Um, typically delete them at lock and rely on Sims for late swap. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, what it does basically, um, and this is how custom projections work across the board, right? Let's, let's again, look at the Mark Williams adjustment here. Uh, this is true of making an adjustment like that or uploading custom projections here. What we do is we take all of the outcomes that that player has in the Sims and adjust the fantasy point outcome in that sim by the difference at the mean, right? So in this case, we reduced Mark Williams' projection at his mean by three fantasy points, minus three. So we're taking every single game outcome we have for him on this slate and also subtracting three. So when he scores 40, now he scores 37. When he scores 17 in that sim, now he's scoring 14. And otherwise, we're still building the lineups based on the sim. So they're basically, another way of thinking about this mathematically, is it is as if we have taken his entire distribution and shifted it three points to the right. So that is the impact it has. Uh, I think it is a good approximation for what a custom projection is designed to do. I think um, there are valid arguments of why that is not a good way to handle custom projections, especially when you start thinking about the upside, the high, very high upside and very high downside of a player. For example, an adjustment of three points to Mark Williams mean might not necessarily mean that his absolute bottom here is negative three. Uh, it also may not mean that it affects his ceiling at all, right? You could by uploading a custom projection, maybe that you were, maybe you are actually trying to imply that this distribution looks different than implying that it should be shifted. Uh, and we are aware of that. And I think we, we definitely, that's something on the list for us to kind of maybe make a little bit more nuanced um, or improve that the handling of that. Um, but for now, I think it does a, a good job as an approximation there. Um, of, of what a custom projection is really trying to accomplish. So um, let me double check this question here. So how does your changes affect the lineups created? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it do, they don't affect the lineups in terms of them being rules or anything like that. It's just shifting the Sims used slightly here um, to, to different, to the updated distributions there. So cool. All right, uh, let me jump back and check the Office Hours channel here. Um, and uh, yeah, let's hit this question here from 
from uh, Choke Hold'em here. I'm brand new to Saberson, and I've used Fantasy Cruncher for years. What are your top three tips for NBA lineup building for 20 maxes? This is a fun one. This is a good question. Um, so here's what I would – I'm trying to think about top three. Um, here is what I would recommend. I'm going to – I maybe will end up giving you more than three. Um, I'll give you kind of a the, the least sexy one here to start with. Uh, and that is really get your contest selection dialed in and mastered, right? I think this is a thing that uh, people get into a habit of just playing a certain set of contests over time without really kind of thinking about what are the best contests in the lobby to maximize your your profit here. Um, and this DFS profit plan video, it is the second video in our like new here section on our YouTube channel is awesome. I think it's probably the fastest way to get a big impact to your, your success playing DFS. Uh, where this actually comes from is last summer, uh, our data scientists ran a basically a, a contest simulation experiment, simulating out all of these different ways. What does your bankroll do? Assuming you're a generally profitable player or a break-even player or a losing player even, uh, across all of these different ways to select contests on a given slate. And what is for different types of players, the best way to minimize your variance and maximize your profit with your contest selection alone. Uh, we came up with this thing called the DFS profit plan here, which is basically the conclusions that we found from that research. Uh, I would highly recommend watching this and just make sure that you're playing the best contest possible. Or it's really actually not even playing the best contest here. That undersells it. It is learning how to make a portfolio of different contests that you can play all in the same night that basically work together to minimize variance while maintain upside. So that's where I would start, right? Contest selection, very important. But when it comes to the actual fun part uh, of building lineups here, um, I would say a couple things. The biggest thing that I would actually spend time, like if you want to actually add some value here and, and make some adjustments and focus on is I would... I would spend time thinking about your personal risk tolerance versus uh, your like balancing upside versus diversity in your lineups for a given slate. Uh, and some that is going to depend a little bit on the style of player you are. But I would experiment with particularly things like min uniques here uh, and explore what happens to as you uh, increase the diversity between your lineups, right? Which is what's happening here, right? So if we increase this from one to three, we are saying that each lineup in your set of 20 must have three players different from one another, right? Which is going to increase the diversity of your portfolio. It's going to mean that you are playing a wider spectrum of, of types of lineups, of constructions of lineups. But to do that, you're going to have to reach further into your pool of lineups, playing in theory, lower quality lineups to get there. And there is a balance there that is going to depend a lot on your personal play style uh, of where that, that break point is. But I think getting comfortable with your own personal risk tolerance here uh, and your appetite for, for diversification really is just a, a great place to start exploring and adding your particular unique twist to the slate. Um, from there, if you have... And like NBA research that you are doing or a process for, you know, researching the games, researching the players, I would start with making adjustments to those kinds of things in a build. 
for the same reasons we talked about at the start of the stream, right? What you are doing there is you are taking a pool of lineups that was built before that bias, I guess, was kind of entered into the process and filtering out lineups that match your stance on the slate. So for example, let's say we want to take a stand uh, on, I don't know, I haven't even done a lot of research into this slate here. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is a name that jumps out to me, at least initially here, as a guy whose minutes has been somewhat variant this season. Uh, I assume, let's see, what do we have here? Um, we must have some news here. Where's the Utah game? Um, I guess I don't really need to, to figure this out here, but I assume, um, I actually don't even know why he's, he's popping so much, but, um, high, high minutes variance throughout the season, right? Looks like going to be a highly owned guy. Uh, looks like a relatively good projected value and showing up in 85% of our lineups. And maybe you're taking a stand here, right? Well, there's a couple different ways you could do that. One would be to make an adjustment to his projection, like we had talked about before. So maybe you bring him down to 25 points and see the impact that that has on your lineups, right? And what you're doing in this case is basically offering to Saber Sim, hey, you've built these 500 lineups with the Sims as they are, but what if, what would be the best lineup, what would be the best 20 lineups in this pool of 500 if Taylor Horton, project, Horton Tucker's projection was only 25? And by making adjustments within a build, you have this kind of, you, you essentially have a little bit of safety of knowing that these lineups are built with the core Sims themselves. Uh, you could also get, you know, you could also get aggressive with your exposures here. Maybe you want to take a really aggressive stand and just fade him completely. You are saying to Saber Sim in that case, give me, build me the 500 quality lineups based on the Sims for this slate. Now give me the best 20 where Taylor Horton Tucker is in none of them, right? And starting to explore the idea of, of working with the Sims but also putting your process into place and putting your own personal research into place. Um, if you start to do stuff like this, at some point, SaberSim is going to tell you there aren't 20 lineups in your pool of 500, right? Uh, now, this might be a situation where you need to come back to the home screen and make some adjustments here to maybe put some of that in as an input to the system, or maybe use that as an opportunity to take a step back back off of your research process a little bit there and check and make sure that the assumptions that you're taking based on your research are actually valid for that particular slate. So um, trying to boil this down to like a, a nugget or something that you could take with you as practical advice. Um, I would, the, the practical, I guess, message of what I'm trying to say here is I would take any research that you are doing as a part of your MBA process here and take a back to front approach when it comes to applying it to your lineups in Saberson. Build lineups without that input first and see what you can do within a build here. Work within the sim optimals that you're getting. And then as needed, go backwards here uh, and start making adjustments more onto the home screen. So um, finally, and the big one, and by far the most important one, is late swap, right? Uh, there is still a pretty massive edge available in the NBA DFS ecosystem because of how poorly the field, especially at lower stakes and, and that under $3 range actually handles late swapping. That the, the three-headed monster of why I think NBA late swap is so valuable is that news breaks often and late. Teams get their starting lineups very out very late. 
there are enough game locking windows on most nights here uh, that there are a lot of opportunities to late swap. And there's a lot of variance in terms of what the starting lineups are you get each night and players resting or being ruled out for injury. So you have this, you have this edge that is available to you often. Um, it is impactful, right? Because minutes are such a, a primary factor in how a player is projected that a player that is a bad play at 22 minutes can be the best play on the slate at 32 minutes, right? Uh, and the field doesn't do it very well still, right? I think the field is getting better at late swapping as time goes on, but it's still something that there are plenty of players that don't even bother doing it at all or don't even know what it is. And for those that are trying to do it, are using poor methods or poor processes for get it, getting it done. Um, or maybe they're just fighting with traditional optimizers and having to do undo two hours worth of rules in 15 minutes because uh, we got a weird looking Denver Nuggets lineup tonight, right? We get like Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon getting ruled out. Um, and it's, I don't know, like Thomas Bryant starting in his first game at the four or something like that. as just a hypothetical, right? And somebody is now undoing uh, the exposures that they've had to have set and uh, rules about how to use players in this game that they've set on Fantasy Cruncher or something like that uh, in the five minutes you have before the game locks. So late swapping your lineups before the start, basically really before the start of each game, I think is probably the highest value thing you can do to improve the quality of your NBA lineups. So um, that's kind of my, is that three? I think that's three. Contest selection. Uh, apply any research and player takes or game takes or adjustments you have like that back to front from, from a build without making any adjustments on the front side first and then making adjustments in the home screen as you need uh, and late swapping early and often. So, uh, Samuel said, how do you approach stacking teams per slate size? You know, this is another thing that for NBA in particular that I basically just almost ignore. Um, I I don't think that there is a heuristic that works very well for this. Um, you know, for example, let's see if we have one tonight. Like you, what what is going on with Utah? I'm curious. Now I need to see. Um, like, oh, I guess it was the Russell Westbrook trade, right? They've cleared a bunch of of roster spots here. So we have this like kind of, we have new value. Salaries haven't adjusted yet to the trade deadline. So um, anyway, um, in terms of, Ryan said DeAndre Jordan's Jokic starting front court. Yeah, maybe, right? Um, so anyway, basically there isn't a hard and fast rule here because I think, so the point of limiting stacking in NBA would be to take advantage of correlation, Right. Players, most players on the same team, especially those that occupy similar roles in NBA, have light negative correlations with one another because there is an opportunity cost to basically racking up stacks in, in the NBA, right? A bucket scored by one guy just can't can't be scored by two different players, right? And the you know, same way with rebounds, right? If a if a guy's going off and you know, if uh Luca is soaking up the assist share, the usage, and the rebounding share on the team and goes for a triple double or something like that, that leaves less opportunities for all of the other Mavericks on the team, right? So you have this negative correlation here and limiting your stack sizes in NBA would be in a blunt tool of trying to capture that. But correlation isn't everything. And in fact, in NBA, it's not even a very big thing, right? On a team like Utah, it might not matter that 
Taylor Horton Tucker is negatively correlated to Walker Kessler. And actually he has somewhat more neutral correlations, but let's look at like Colin Sexton, right? It may not matter that some of these guys have negative correlations to one another if they are all projected very well, right? That the you might be earning more in the average projection of those players than you are losing in the fact that they are slightly negatively correlated with one another. So Utah three or four stacks might be viable on an 11 game slate where a team that doesn't have as much value, uh, that correlation is a bigger factor. And maybe you only want one nugget, right? Figuring out like how all that works on a given slate and what the right amount of players per team that you want to have on that particular slate is a challenge and a traditional optimizer in Saver Sim. I think it can be virtually ignored because the sliders and the Sims are going to basically handle that for you in a way that is uh, adjusted for the size of the slate and the size of the contest you're playing. The value of sim diversity and upside versus correlation for individual players is is factored in basically like off the rip here. So um, I will, I would say with all of that said, when I sit down to first start building lineups for a slate and maybe I build, let's go back to this build, right? Let's go back, we'll, we'll call this our test build. I will, oops, let me go back here. Okay, I don't know what's going on there. Let's start with a new build. I think it's because I made some adjustments there. Probably clicking something the wrong way. Anyway, what I was trying to say is I will basically look at any teams that I'm getting four or more players on as an opportunity, as a place to start some of my research or maybe just a note that I definitely want to look into, right? So it's not really happening tonight. But it is an 11-game slate, so maybe you're not very likely to get four players from a team. But maybe even the three, right? I might go in and look and see, if, like, what teams am I getting three stacks for? And maybe, like, okay, so I'm getting three stacks of Portland. Like, what, what's going on there? And do I want to change anything, right? Um, is there anything that jumps out to me about Portland in particular? So maybe I come back here, and I'm looking, and let's see. Like, how do they project so Trenton Watford looks like like one of maybe the better values on the slate. It looks like the field isn't really looking to get there at all right now, um, probably because Mark Williams projects so well. So he's not getting any any exposure. Um, let's go look. And then you have like Dame here, who looks like one of the better ways to spend 11.1K on DraftKings tonight. Projects pretty well. Um, but like maybe not a team that, and actually, Jeremy Grant's one of the better values on the slate. So, I mean, it does it does make sense that we're getting some three pieces here. Um, but it's not a situation where, like, three of the top ten best values on the slate are all Blazers. So maybe this is a situation where I would, put, like, think about making an adjustment here and just canceling out that stack size so that I'm not getting any um, three stacks in my build, right? So maybe doing like a little bit of a case-by-case -case basis there. But it's not something where I'm setting a, a hard and fast rule um, for, for my builds. So uh, Franklin said, is using GeoMean in NBA a good strategy? Uh, it depends on what you're doing. Um, it can be. It, I mean, it. it I, so I assume you're referring specifically to GeoMean ownership, right? That is my my gut of what you're referring to here. Um, it, it, yeah. I mean, it absolutely can be right. I've experimented with like product ownership and geo mean rules in NBA. Um, I think there's a couple things to consider, right. Um, 
One is basically just with your ownership rules, period, whether you're using averages, like just the way that you are taking into account ownership is that chalk is going to be, um, huh, why are these guys, I don't, whatever. Chalk is going to be a little bit more reliable. I'm trying to figure out why I must have a rule here still set or something. I didn't get any of those elite plays. Chalk is going to be a little bit more reliable in NBA, right? The, the the ownership can it tends to be efficient. There are ownership inefficiencies, especially when it comes to how the field reacts to late news breaking and things like that. But because the best projected plays are often the best GPP plays in a sport like NBA, um, I think having a somewhat lighter touch to ownership does make some sense, or at least rather than setting. I, I think having some slate context and some contest context, it's always a hard thing to say, is important, right? An ownership-based rule that, you know, say you're doing something like I'm never playing a product ownership higher than 20 in an NBA slate is not going to take into account the slate dynamics or your particular contest you're playing. And it might potentially lead you down a path of just playing bad lineups. Now, if you're doing something to the effect of, you know, maybe you are running a cash build and comparing the way that the ownership, you know, looks in a cash build versus what you're getting in GPP and setting a, a more dynamic rule that way, maybe I'm a little bit more open to that. Um, but um, I think you should be, anytime you are exploring ownership and particularly in NBA, you should be taking into account the slate dynamics and the contest dynamics uh, of what's going on on that particular slate. I think Personally, my favorite way to start messing around with ownership here and, and some of these things is with a custom metric. Um, it is a uh, pro feature here, but you can do cool things on Saberson Pro like balance uh, the, um, you know, maybe the projected points of a lineup um, versus the ownership product of a lineup and adjust the associated weights of these factors and basically tell Saberson to take lineups that it has built and balance ownership geometric mean versus the upside of a lineup via projected score. Um, there's quite a few different things that you can do from there. Uh, I think I would probably, as we're talking through this, I think I would, I would be cautious of setting a product ownership or geo mean rule pre-build for NBA unless you were just being very careful with your, your implementation of that and really making sure that you are adjusting that. And like when I'm saying adjusting it, I mean, if, if we got news breaking five minutes before lock that changed the ownership complexion of the slate, your rule probably should be changing along with that. And that can get kind of hard to do. So um, I would, I, again, as we're probably talking through it, I would I would be a little bit cautious with these kinds of things. It's not my projection; it's my ownership geometric rule. But for for a sport like NBA, um, so uh, geo mean itself. Talking about that, I did want to just touch on this. Uh, like, what's what is this used for here? Um, I think geometric mean can be a very nice tool to. So basically, let, let me actually start from here. So the average is the is is. Actually, let's let's just explain what all of these are. So the ownership sum of a lineup is the player's ownership projection added up for every player in the lineup. That is the ownership sum, right? That's the simplest one. 
The ownership average is that same number. It is the ownership sum divided by the number of players in the lineup. It's the arithmetic mean in that case, right? The ownership product is the player's ownership projections all multiplied together in a lineup, right? It is similar to the sum in that way, is it is taking the, but in this case, it's taking the projections and multiplying them all together. The geometric mean of a lineup is the ownership product to the one over the number of players in the lineup power, right? So in terms of the actual applications here of these, like why, why do we have all four? What are they useful for here? Uh, product, in theory, will do a better job than sum or average at actually determining how likely combinations of players are likely to be used together, right? comes from the way that you would calculate the probability of independent events. Calculating the probability of independent events can be, can be done by multiplying the probabilities of each event together. So you are treating a player using combinations of players in their lineup as independent events, which they're not, but it's an approximation of saying, you know, you can come up with the probability of somebody using Mark Williams and Max Struess and Luka Doncic in a lineup together uh, by multiplying the ownership projections of those players together, right? That's kind of what product is intended to get at there. Geometric mean is a simpler way of viewing the ownership product, right? That's kind of why it's here. If you multiply eight ownership pro projections together, you depending on where you put the decimal, whether you're looking at it as a percentage or as the decimal format, you're either going to end up with an enormous number or a very small number that's very hard to use, geometric means smooths that out quite a bit and makes you makes it easier to have like a nice clean number. Um, so the last point I'll make on this before we move on, one of the flaws or one of the things to be kind of aware of is that products and geometric means are very uh, affected by very small numbers here right? It treats the difference between a player being projected at three percentage points owned versus one percentage point owned as a very significant difference because mathematically speaking, it is. But there is a lot of variance in these very small ownership projections, right? Um, you know, a guy like Kyrie Irving, probably when we say he's going to be 1%, 1.8% owned tonight, this number is probably more like anywhere from one to 4% owned, which will is it has a very different effect on the, a lineup's ownership product or geometric mean if he's used in the lineup and is 1% owned versus 4% owned. So you should be aware of the fact anytime you're using product ownership or geometric mean that you are very, your, your, your math there is very fragile to very low ownership projections. Um, but in theory, if you had perfect ownership projections, it would be a better, uh, it would be a better way to calculate those ownerships. So um, I feel like I took a very simple question here and blew it up into a very complicated answer. Um, I, I think, um, I, I think in, to, to sum up, um, I would be, I would make sure any ownership rules you're, you're making, you are taking into account the contest that you are building those lineups for and the dynamics of the slate that you are building them for. Um, and not just using a blunt force rule there. Um, 
Sam says, so we uh, never try to use point guard with their respective power forward and center. Let the builder decide that for you. So actually, okay. So it looks like you're actually talking about this from a positive correlation standpoint, right? I was focusing on negative correlation. It looks like you're, you're focusing here more on the positive correlation. Those correlations, if they are even likely to be there are going to be very, very small, right? Um, you know, let's look at even like, let's look at Jokic, right? His positive correlations, right? Obviously like assist machine, triple double machine, you know, brings the best out of his teammates on the basketball court. His positive correlations, if any, are going to be very small to any other players on, on the same team, right? Very low, like within the range of outcome, like within the error bars of this measurement here are probably high enough that this can basically be zero. The reason positive correlations exist in something like football, for example, is that the events that take place that lead to scoring, that lead to fantasy scoring, are so significant. They score; You can score so much all in one play relative to a player's projection that it becomes much harder for a wide receiver to have success without his quarterback also having success. Right? That's not really the case in, a, in basketball. It doesn't take... Uh, you know, Jokic delivering 14 assists on the slate for Jamal Murray to have a 95th percentile outcome. Whereas if Jamar Chase scores three touchdowns, like it is barring injury almost required that Joe Burrow is also having that kind of outcome. So you have these very strong positive correlations. It just doesn't happen the same way in basketball because scoring happens in such small discrete buckets and there aren't big splash plays that multiple players from the same team can all score a bunch of points at once. So um, you, I would say you certainly can play a point guard and the same team center on the same lineup. There's an absolutely nothing wrong with that, especially in a team that projects well as a whole, or maybe is underpriced as a whole. That's not something that needs to be avoided. I certainly don't think it's something that should be like stacked intentionally together because there's not a lot that can happen on the, the the main way I think that those players would end up in a situation where they did have a very positive distribution is like potentially the the game outcomes where that game goes to overtime or just goes well over the projected total. But there's not a reliable form of positive correlation there that would make me want to stack those in general. So, but good question. Cool. All right. We are all caught up on questions for today. We ended up having a pretty good stream here, hour and 20 minutes or so. So I appreciate you guys all coming and hanging out with me, talking about some of this stuff, asking some questions here. Uh, I'm going to leave the stream at that for today. Andrew should be back here tomorrow uh, for another one with you guys. Last note, I did want to actually, I had meant to do this earlier, but I wanted to call out a couple videos here on our YouTube channel. We talked a lot of NBA stuff today. I think I referenced uh, some of these videos a bit or some of these concepts, but didn't go totally deep into some of this stuff here. So two videos in particular, um, I think, uh, what was this? What was the name? Um, oh, choke, choke hold them here. When we were talking about, uh, NBA research and kind of the ways that you would apply that in SaberSim, if you're not even really totally sure where to start with like doing some of that research and you want to kind of go down that path, I'd check out this video in particular. Uh, this was a kind of an interview style show I did with our other coach, Andrew, who does spend a lot of time every day researching NBA rotations and injury news and that kind of stuff and making adjustments to things from there. Highly recommend this video. 
Um, and we talked a lot about NBA late swap as well, as we tend to do when I'm on the show, just because I am, I am such a late swap fan. Um, short little video kind of summing up why I think NBA late swap is important and the best way to actually do it in SaberSim in this video. So I definitely recommend checking those out. If you were following along with me here today and I went a little bit fast through anything, um, anything like that, definitely give those, those videos a watch there. But again, appreciate you guys all. Uh, as always, if you have questions for us, you can email support at sabersim.com, pop questions into Discord, whatever works for you. And if you stumbled on this for the first time and you're not a Sabersim subscriber, uh, we have a free seven-day trial on our site, sabersim.com. Come check us out, free seven days. Football season's over now. We've got basketball here, at least for through Thursday until the All-Star break. But NASCAR coming up this weekend here. Uh, baseball right around the corner. Golf heating up. You get access to all of our sports for a free seven days. So in the meantime, uh, I will see you guys later. And good luck. Take care.